Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, January 14th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, we ask the mayor for an update on the latest on the event center saga, including claims coming out of City Hall this week that the mayor herself is to blame for the deal falling apart. Then we head stateside for an update on the stories making headlines south of our border. This week, a look at the ongoing tension between the U.S. and Russia and the current state of COVID in the U.S., where deaths are now averaging 2,000 daily. We speak with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Is the stress of our lives causing us to grow older faster? We speak with the Doctor of Psychology from the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland about the negative effects stress can have both on our mental and physical health and what we can do to safeguard ourselves. And can a new film help solve a Canadian mystery about a U.S. plane that vanished over 70 years ago? We hear the details of this really cool story from filmmaker Andrew Gregg, whose new documentary, it's called Skymaster Down, airs this Sunday night on the Documentary Channel. Well, apparently there is hope. Yeah, for the future of an events center with details on City Council's plans for the Rivers District and everything going on at City Hall. We're joined now by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking time with us as you do each and every Friday. Now, uh, it's your chance to respond here, Mayor, because you've been accused of being to blame for letting the Arena Events Center deal die. And a council apparently voted in camera not to allow you to negotiate the next potential deal. Is the blame being laid in the right place, Mayor? Well, I would like to get away from the blame issue because this is a situation of the economy and the pandemic influencing something that we thought was going to move ahead in a very different way in 2019. After the pandemic hit us and we realized that coming out of the economic recession was going to be even tougher, we saw this deal come back in summer of 2021 um, after several extensions to uh, what we call off-ramps because it just wasn't viable. And so the deal was restruck last summer, uh, thinking that the economy would get better and that the supply chain issues would resolve themselves and cost overruns would Uh, stop being so extreme because we would be able to go back to so-called normal. That hasn't happened yet. So instead of laying blame, let's understand that the economic conditions of this deal change so much over time. We've got to start fresh, looking at it in a different way. Mayor, can you confirm that uh, council voted in camera this week not to allow you to negotiate what might be a potential new deal? I don't know what that would even be. It's not a thing that one member of council, including the mayor, any mayor, could ever be a sole negotiator in a situation like this. The previous mayor was not a negotiator. That's not how this works. What happens is the two parties are represented by administration and members of Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation. They had a steering committee. They have conversations about what they desire to see. And then it comes to their corporation's decision makers and our corporation's decision makers, which is council. Council votes on what we do, not the mayor. All right, let's uh, you know continue the conversation as far as the new move seems to be wanting to get another partner to invest in the event center and the entire area. Um, how optimistic are you that this will happen? And has there been any interest yet? Well, I can tell you that Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation has always said that they enjoy having their teams in this city. The Flames are an important part of the city's history and future. 
they continue to play in the Saddle Dome, and I'm very optimistic that we will be able to build an event center of which they will be a part. So it's an incredibly optimistic view from Council, and you can see that unanimously we felt that we can achieve the goals of an entertainment district that includes an event center. And I firmly believe that Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation wish to be a part of Calgary's future. And I think most people hope that is the case for sure. Just want to step back again, though, and and say, you know, looking back and stepping back, do you think it was a misstep on your behalf to announce the deal was dead and and not call an emergency meeting of council and get everybody involved in that conversation? So on December 21st, uh, Mr. Edwards and I agreed to go public with the situation. We felt it was important for Calgarians to know the situation as it stood at that time. Uh, It was not something that I did without first speaking with him. One of the biggest criticisms we've had on the event center over time is you are telling the public things far too late. And I can't speculate on what would have happened had I not done that and people found out on December 31st that the deal had dissolved. So, you know, I guess you can look back and say, should you have done it differently? I don't believe so. I'm a public servant. I have an obligation to let the public know what's happening. And that's what I did. And we disclosed the timeline of events, the same timeline that was seen publicly three days ago during our council meeting. Well, let's switch gears a bit and talk to you. You said you're a public servant, and that is the case. And you uh, had a protester showing up your personal residence this week. What do we need to do to protect public servants? And obviously, you're very much in the conversation now, Mayor Gondek. I believe it's important to understand that You know, you elect people to do a job, and if you are going to come and intimidate them at their home, I'm a little bit worried about the kind of people that would be great in these roles that will not run for fear for themselves and their families and their neighbors, quite frankly. I felt terrible for my neighbors having to experience this. So there is the opportunity within legislation, very much like we have done for women's health clinics as well as hospitals to ensure that protests can't happen there. I think we need to strengthen the legislation to protect elected officials. Mayor, can you hang on a couple of minutes and come back and answer a couple more questions for us? We want to talk about the, unfortunately, the new vacancy milestone that we uh, we heard yesterday. Can you join us again for a couple more? I can. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for staying with us. Um, just to wrap things up when it comes to the Event Centre Arena deal, what is the next step? Are we expecting a report from the city at some point here, or what, what are we waiting for? It's a really good question. What we voted on is to uh, give direction to administration that they should engage a third party to gauge the interest of Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, as well as any other potential partners that wish to execute on an event centre and report back to us by the 8th of March, which is a combined meeting of council date and probably the the big preamble statement that we have reaffirmed our commitment to building out an entertainment district that includes an event centre. All right, let's switch gears and talk about the other big article that came out. And it seems like every month um, we hear about the dismal situation downtown with downtown vacancy in the office buildings and now a record of 33.2 percent so one in three empty and i know that this is a loaded question madam mayor but uh, what do we do about downtown well the thing about statistics like this is there's sometimes a bit of a lag between what's happening and when it gets reported the thing i can tell you that's incredibly um, encouraging for our city 
is we have tech companies that are choosing to locate in Calgary. We just had an announcement that Neo Financial is taking up space in the historic Hudson's Bay building as well as the Edison. And what we have just found is that uh, Waterloo Economic Development has done some research on tech hubs. And they have identified Calgary as being one of the top five locations in North America for tech to locate. It's an emerging market, which is a really good sign. Lots of, you know, things that we need to work on in this city for sure. But there are a lot of positive things happening as well. Thank you, as always, for joining us and spending some time with us on a Friday. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. You too. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Well, from the continuing spread of COVID-19 and the ongoing tensions with Russia, it's been a busy week for our southern neighbours. With a look at the latest news from the U.S., we turn to Global News, Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Yes, we made it. Well, let's uh, get right to it when it comes to this tension with Russia. Uh, The uh, two uh, superpowers meeting last week to address the ongoing tensions with uh, the Ukraine and, and what the situation holds there. What's the latest? Yeah, you know, those talks are ongoing. Lots of concern about a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I think really it sort of uh, comes down to this question of uh, whether the U.S. and NATO are willing to acquiesce to the demands of Russia. And remember, it's not just about preventing Ukraine from joining NATO. Uh, Russia is actually seeking a clawback of the size of NATO to where it was in the late 1990s. Hard to see how the West is going to go along with that. And so really it is an increasingly tense situation. And of course, this morning there were reports that uh, Ukraine and its government agencies have suffered a massive cyber attack. So plenty to watch and plenty to be Mm. concerned about there in the coming days. And uh, Putin has been quite vocal. In fact, I believe it was on Tuesday of this week, uh, it could have been Wednesday, floating the idea of perhaps uh, bringing some troops and sending them along their way to uh, Venezuela and Cuba. Yeah, so I think it, it just sort of gives you a, a sense that uh, Russia is uh, what, what some diplomatic experts have uh, referred to as more of a hostage negotiation than an actual negotiation here over uh, the future of Ukraine. And moves like that really give a sense that uh, this has the potential to, to spiral out of control. Jackson, let's bring it back home. Uh, President Biden pushing to expand voting rights protections for Americans. So what is this in response to? This is a lot of action that's been happening from the Republicans, correct? Yeah, this is something that's really uh, in response to actions taking place in state legislatures across the country where Republican majorities in those states are effectively trying to make it harder to to vote. Uh, the accusation is that they're specifically targeting Democrats and uh, communities that have large minority populations. They're doing things like uh, in Wisconsin, for example, they've outlawed uh, drop boxes for ballots, for mail-in ballots, where you could just drop them off. Uh, Texas, uh, for example, lots of concern about gerrymandering there, where they redraw the districts to make it harder for Democrats to get elected. Uh, there were, you know, voting rights measures we saw implemented in Georgia back in 2018 that made it illegal to hand out food and water to people standing in these lines for eight and ten hours in the heat to vote. So things like that are what this federal legislation seeks to address. But Biden's going to have a hard time getting this done. He even admitted so himself when he was in the Capitol building this week because there are a number of Democrats who are unwilling to eliminate what's known as the filibuster, the rule that requires 60 votes to pass a piece of legislation. And of course, Democrats have 50 votes. If they eliminated the filibuster and had everybody in the caucus on side, they could pass this. But at least two Democrats say they're not willing to go along with that right now. Seeing online that, uh, you know, uh, when we switch gears here and talk COVID-19, the deaths now over 865,000 in the U.S. 
What is the current situation? Are you seeing a plateau or do things continue to climb down? Downside. Yeah, you know, things continue to climb. The rate of increase is starting to slow in some areas here on the East Coast, but it's picking up on the West Coast. We know, of course, all COVID is local, especially in a country the size of the U.S. or Canada. So what's happening in one place may not happen elsewhere. But in about half the states now, doctors and nurses are warning about a critical shortage of beds. Uh, hospitals are absolutely overwhelmed. And the average number of daily deaths in this country is back to uh, nearly 2,000 a day. And this many days, it's many more than that. So plenty to be concerned about on that front. Jackson, aside from COVID, I was reading somewhere that it's they're starting to call it election season coming in the U.S. Are we really getting that close or is it sort of, you know, beyond the presidential election? It's the, the is it midterms that come up? Yeah, 299 days until the midterm elections. Not that anybody's counting, yeah. but uh, yeah, there is lots of talk about the midterms. It is going to be a pivotal test for Joe Biden, who is the most unpopular he has ever been at any point in his presidency right now. Uh, we talked about voting rights. Other pieces of his agenda are completely stalled and dead at this point as as well right now. He's taking a lot of heat for the uh, sort of lax response to the Omicron variant, and Democrats are, are expecting that they will lose control of the House and quite likely the Senate as well in those midterm elections. Lots of and lots to watch around those elections, including the potential reemergence of former President Trump, whether he makes his uh, intentions perhaps a little more widely known ahead of 2024, or at least sort of floats his continued power by endorsing candidates and seeing how they do uh, in those pivotal races. Well, you mentioned 299 days, Jackson, so I'm, I'm sure that Biden has lots of times uh, to uh, right the ship, so to speak. You think this is something that behind the scenes strategically he and his team are aware of or are they just planning on staying the course what would, what would you do in that position yeah i mean i think there's always sort of a, a precedent that's been set that the president's party tends to do poorly in midterm elections and we saw for example trump they swept in 2016. Republicans lost in the midterms in 2018. It's just kind of a thing that happens down here. The question is, how bad are the losses and how high are the stakes given these attempts to claw back voting rights? I think there's a lot of worry in Democratic circles that if Republicans win control of the House and the Senate, that there will be endless investigations into uh, the Biden investigation, an impeachment attempt, uh, investigations into things like Hunter Biden, uh, and moves that could potentially make it harder for Democrats to win future elections because because of those restrictions on voting rights. Isn't there a lot sort of up in the air, even just within the Republican Party? I was reading an article that there, you know, there is a faction of Republicans who don't want Donald Trump anywhere near the party. They want to try and rebuild and make it something, you know, bigger and better without him. So it, is that something that can really cause issues as, as the Republican Party moves forward and tries to take over from Biden and the Democrats? Yeah, I mean, they are few and far between the Republicans who aren't in Trump's corner. And there's sort of a school of thought right now that if you want to win, if you want to get ahead, you've got to back Trump. You've got to back the lie about a stolen election. You've got to fall in line with all of that. Otherwise, Trump will campaign against you and quite likely win in the primary. So uh, the Republican Party is fully the party of Trump right now. But there is still a level of internal squabbling. And I think you'll see as the investigation into January 6th and the attempted insurrection heats up uh, that perhaps some Republicans try to distance themselves from Trump depending on what is exposed through all of this. Uh, you're even seeing some uh, pro-Trump Republicans squabble amongst themselves over how far to go with things like, uh, you know, spreading lies about vaccines, for example, uh, over bans on social media. So there are different factions within the party, but generally speaking, the Republican Party is very much the party of Donald Trump. And it's uh, very much been a busy week, so we appreciate you uh, keeping us up to date and uh, letting us know what's been going on. Thanks so much, Jackson. Have a great weekend. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News.
And, you know, if nothing else, you know, we, we have a lot of parallels to the U.S., but I'd like to say right now I'm glad we're not talking about an election even before, oh. like, for example, like this midterm, 299 days from now. You're not kidding. Please, no countdowns. Yes. A little stress can be good for you. A lot of stress can lead to anxiety, depression, and many other health problems. We've all been feeling the stress through this pandemic. So what can we do to become more stress resilient? Joining us this morning to discuss is Dr. Jolanta Burke, Senior Lecturer at the Centre for Positive Psychology and Health at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. Good morning, Dr. Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Sue and Andy. It's lovely to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Well, a pleasure to have you. Let's talk about stress. And, and you know, obviously, over the past two years, we, the world has been experiencing this pandemic. So it, has this boosted our stress levels through the stratosphere? I think for many people, definitely. Um, in general, it's, it's really interesting to see how, according to some research, um, many of us have experienced flourishing. Um, they have been a little bit stressed, but, they, but working from home suits them, and they have experienced even higher levels of well-being than they had before COVID. So it all depends. And I think that if we find ourselves in uh, situations when um, maybe um, due to childcare or illness um, or maybe even isolation, all of these factors would definitely be affecting our stress levels and well-being and resilience as a result of it. All right. So let's break down. You know, when we talk about stress and as Sue said in the intro there, you know, it can have some negative effects on our health. So, Dr. Burke, can you break down how it can impact our mental and physical health? our physical health um, it's all of the symptoms of tiredness, fatigue um, our immune system is also a little bit lower when we are experiencing excessive stress and research is showing us that um, experiencing um, these daily stressors, so small hassles every day could be more detrimental to our physical and mental health than experiencing traumatic events um, for various reasons so um, and it's stress is it, it just, we're talking here about stress is not actually bad in itself. It encourages us to do better. It helps us concentrate. But when it happens all the time, when it happens relentlessly, that's when it's affecting us. We make us tired. Our immunity is lower. So we catch um, illness uh, much easier. But it could also, if it is relentless, it could also affect our mental health. Uh, we could start um um, maybe experiencing lower moods and lower levels of positive emotions, higher levels of negative emotions, maybe negative thoughts. And all of this may lead us to depression if we don't um, do something about it. I know we're relating to an article in theconversation.com and talking about, you know, studies that show people who are not good at managing their stress can actually die prematurely. And the fact that yes. stress can affect your DNA, how is that even possible? Yes. Well, our DNA strands are just like um, the shoelace uh, laces. So at the end of a, a shoelace, uh, we have little caps that help shoelace from fraying. And at the end of DNA, we have these little telomeres. They are little beads of telomerase that uh, protect our cells and uh, our DNA. And our cells keep repeating all the time. And as they repeat, we lose one beat uh, at a time. But when we are very stressed, 
that process happens much faster. So some people may be experience, when they experience a, um, a period of uh, extreme stress, they may see their hair going gray. And it's because the hair cells um, have lost these um, uh, telomeres at the end. They became shorter. And as a result, they don't protect their cells as well. And they have aged much faster. Mm. Yeah, Dr. Burke, I'm wondering, you know, it is a stressful world. And particularly, you talk about the past well, 22 months or so, whatever it's been here, getting close to the two-year mark of the pandemic, we are stressed. So so what can we do to combat these things? I mean, obviously, you've you got to go on with yeah. life and your responsibilities. What can we do to safeguard ourselves? Well, there are a lot of things we can do. The first thing is um, connect with others. And I know it's such a cliche. Everybody talks about it, but it does help. And we actually have research showing that it could slow down this aging process. It could help us bounce back. Um, much faster after any adversity we've had. So connecting with others is so uh, important and searching for some sort of support. And that statistic you mentioned earlier about people dying or having higher risk of dying uh, due to stress. Uh, for many years, we thought it was the number of or amount of stress that we experience that matters. And now we know that in addition to the amount of experience, it's our attitude towards stress. So if our attitude is that Stress is something I can cope with, I can do well. And if I only maybe go out to people, ask them for help or come up with some solutions, and that will help us um, protect ourselves from the negative effects of stress and hopefully um, shorten also the amount of stressful uh, time that we have in our lives. So connecting with others, changing our attitudes towards stress a little bit more, uh, more because if we are embracing stress, or stressful situations, we will be much more likely to adapt more uh, effective coping mechanisms than if we are scared of it. But also physiological, or uh, looking after our body, because our head sits in our body. It's uh, it's one system. So um, research is showing us that um, even moving into this plant-based uh, diet, where we eat more vegetables than um, than maybe meat or uh, processed foods, all this also help us cope with stress more effectively. It makes us more resilient physiologically. Or exercise, and it's not even physical activity is important, but what can reverse the process of aging is um, intense exercise. So this is distracted physical activity that we engage in uh, every day. So small things like this could make a huge difference to us. I'm curious, Doctor, you talked about, you know, connecting and support and how very, very important they are to, you know, us being able to deal with our stress. Would you, in your experience then, say that that can translate to kids and the importance of keeping them in school um, at a young age? You know how important that is as well? Absolutely. I have a little little man at home here (laughs) and I've seen him, like he's only three, and I've seen him not being around children as a result of COVID because I was so scared to expose him to potentially to COVID. Um, and at one point, I just had to do it just for his own mental health. So I started connecting in a safe way. I started connecting. As I sent him to his preschool. Um, and I also started connecting with other moms uh, with children that age. It is such an important um uh, skills for him to develop or for children to develop, to be with other children, to, to feel that support, to feel that others are going through the same challenges as they are going through. 
Very interesting topic, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously when we talk about them tied to the pandemic as well, not that we haven't had stress previous to the pandemic for us, but super timely. So thank you so much, Dr. Burke. Thank you so much, Stuart Andy. Thank you. As, uh, Dr. Jolanta Burke, Senior Lecturer, Centre for Positive Psychology and Health at the Royal College of Surgeons. In Ireland. Back in 1950, a U.S. military plane with 44 on board disappeared over the Yukon Territory. No trace of it has ever been found. This Sunday night, Skymaster Down premieres on Documentary Channel, breaking down the mystery around this missing plane. And joining us to talk about the documentary is the man behind it, filmmaker Andrew Gregg. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Can you give us a little a Coles Notes version of this fascinating story, a little background? Well, the, there was uh, the Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage was a massive Air Force Base uh, that was built um, just after the Japanese attacked the Aleutian Islands. So it was a front in the Second World War. And right from that point, once the Alaska Highway went through, they also put through a, a highway through the sky called the Northwest Staging Route. And that would take uh, the flights from Anchorage all the way down to Great Falls, Montana. And from there, the passengers and crew would disperse around the lower 48 states. So that's where they were going. Um, people were leaving Anchorage and, and heading down to uh, Montana. Um, and along the way, this is pre-radar, they had to check in at different radio outposts uh, out, out in the wilderness. And the first outpost when you came into Canada was at a little place called Snag. And they checked in there, said everything was fine. They had a little bit of ice on their wings. Um, and... A half hour later, they were supposed to check in at the next outpost. They never did. So somewhere in that half hour period, this plane, huge plane with 44 people just disappeared. Hmm. Incredible. And now, you know, the stats are out there. More than 500 planes have crashed in the Yukon. And the Skymaster plane is only one of a few that's never been recovered. So what are the theories that have been floating around for the past 70 years plus about this mystery? Well, the first one is that um, it's still somewhere along the flight path. And, um, you know, from our perspective, uh, outside of the north, we call it wilderness. But that area has been crisscrossed by everybody from First Nations trappers to miners to geologists to hikers, everybody you can think of. So I, I don't think it's along the flight path anywhere. Um, the second theory is that it went into a lake. There are some big lakes along the way. Um, but to do that with the thickness of January ice, it would have to be going screaming fast uh, in order to get through the ice. And also in the spring, once the ice had melted, there would likely have been a fuel slick on the surface of the water. So I don't think, I think the lake thing is probably not uh, a good theory either. Although I have ascribed to all of these ones over the over the last four years of research, this I think what happened is that it got off course and went into the Saint Elias Mountain Range in Kalani National Park. And nine of the top ten tallest mountains in North America are in there, and the largest glacier outside the poles. Uh. So I think it's back. I think it's entombed in ice back there, and uh, probably won't turn up until you know with the climate changing. Uh, the glaciers melt back a bit, and we'll see if we see anything. Wow, fascinating. Now, you mentioned the First Nations people, but they were never officially asked to join in the search for the airplane, correct? Yeah, correct. It, it, the, the search itself kicked off like the next day, and it was, it was, conf- it was a lot of confusion. Um, the military, both Canadian and U.S., threw just a lot of planes and people at it, and they, there was no real plan. It was just like more planes, more people. Um, and let's fly anywhere, anywhere, any call we get, any clue we find, we're going to go and, and, and chase that up. But these planes were big, and the um, 
the the windows were like little portholes that were frosted over, and they had low slung wings, so the visibility looking down was hindered. Um, meanwhile, the First Nations people, you know, this is their backyard, mm-hmm. um, and and we talked to an elder from Kiwani First Nation uh, who says, you know, if they just asked us, we would have done a, a search on foot. That's the only way you can really you know, find out what's going on, but they were never asked. Well, uh, you know, families of those who were lost must still be wanting answers. Will there ever be another search there, Andrew? Well, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, it's been, they, they, after they finished the search in 1950, they said, we'll come back when the weather's better, and they never did. Um, They're still what waiting. We're hoping, what we're hoping with the film is that, you know, one of the things that, that surprised me, I didn't know about this story before 2018, and what surprised me is how, you know, most other people have never heard about it either. Um, so we're hoping to bring it back into the public eye um, and and maybe put the pressure back on for another search. Um, I know, you know, even though the film is done, I don't want to give up on it. Um, I want to stay involved in, 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 until we can find the thing. Um, but I think, and I think there is some momentum now, uh, but having the film out there is going to help. I've seen it. It's fascinating. It really is a wonderful mystery, and you've done a great job with this documentary. It's called Skymaster Down, premieres this coming Sunday, January 16th, on Documentary Channel. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. And thank you, and thank you for the kind words. That's really lovely. Appreciate it very much. much. That's filmmaker Andrew Gregg. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.